0: You're listening to Smarter Conservative Radio, show 28. Hey everybody, this is Patrick Ketchum, host of Smarter Conservative Radio. Hey, it's great having you here today. we got a lot of stuff to talk about, so let's jump right in to our history moment. Okay, so this week, something pretty interesting happened. And, uh, and we saw that Donald Trump's daughter, Ivanka, she's got her own clothing line, right? Just like Donald Trump. He's got Donald Trump ties, Donald Trump this and that. She's got a clothing line. She's got dresses. And, and I think Melania does that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure every member of the Trump family has her own clothing line. Anyway, I, I, Ivanka especially, you know, she's got these really nice dresses and, and, and ladies' clothing that... Is pretty affordable. It looks like you know it's not some super high-end stuff. But she wore her own clothing during the inauguration and during you know the uh, the national convention. And so people would criticize her every once in a while, like, "Hey, you're promoting your own clothing and stuff." Same thing with Melania. She has her own clothing line, and and she would always wear her stuff. And and sales of that uh, particular item would might spike a little bit at that time. Anyway. People, the media's been talking about this for a while. What just happened last week was that Nordstrom, and it looks like TJ. Maxx as well, has pulled some of the 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 lines that they had from Ivanka Trump from their shelves. All right, so here's the thing about this. <laughs> it's not unprecedented from a for a president to lash out at the media for attacking their daughter, right? Uh, but this isn't the media. This is a private business, okay? And uh, Donald Trump calls out Nordstrom's, and he sends a tweet that says, you know, hey, they deliberately stopped carrying my daughter's stuff. And then he tweets not only from his own account, but from the president of the United States' Twitter feed. He uh, he announces this and, you know, how horrible Nordstrom is. So th- that's a little sketchy right there. Uh, why? Because the president is attacking a private business, in his role as President of the United States. Um, That's not good. That's not a good thing that Donald Trump did. I've liked a lot of stuff he's done, but this kind of thing is so silly, so stupid, and so inappropriate. Uh, And and we have to sort of separate these things out and be able to recognize that, man, that is really not a good idea. And so, uh, and then you had Kellyanne Kellyanne Conway, who's an advisor to Trump and talks a lot with uh, different outlets about what's going on. And she went out and said hey, listen, uh, North Trump was totally wrong for doing this, and I say everyone just go out and buy Ivanka Trump stuff. And, it, you know, it was, I think it was an innocent enough comment uh, she didn't realize that that is way, way illegal for, uh, for, for government uh, workers to be directing people to basically profiteering right? Making profits off of their role in government. You know, this is someone who is extremely close to president, directing the American people toward the president's daughter's clothing line. And so really inappropriate. It looks like uh, she had a talking to by the uh, ethics committee there at the White House. And so we'll see what happens with, you know, she's been making a lot of missteps lately. Very talented, but man, that is, that is the job with a lot of, Pressure, a lot of pressure. First, a few weeks ago, she came out with uh, the phrase alternative facts, and then she uh, made a mistake by talking about the Bowling Green massacre uh, about a week ago, uh, or, or a little bit less, and then just two or three days ago, she came out with this uh, about uh, buying Ivanka Trump stuff. So really, for someone who did really well during the campaign, you know, the campaign and actually working in an administration is way different. So maybe Kellyanne Conway is a little better suited for the campaign lifestyle. Uh, She's just been making a lot of uh, mistakes lately. And, And high pressure, hey, high pressure, and they're just getting started. But this is drawing a lot of attention, not toward Donald Trump, but especially toward his uh, his staff, his White House staff, Sean Spicer, Flynn, uh, Conway, Bannon. These people are getting a lot of attention. And not always for good things. All right, so let's talk about a precedent that, uh, that was set many, many years ago, in fact, 60, 70 years ago, by Harry Truman. So you may not have known this, but this is not the first time that a president has lashed out because someone attacked his daughter. Harry Truman did the same thing uh, to the Washington Post, when he picked up the Washington Post, December 6th, 1950, he read a review about his daughter Margaret's singing performance, so this, she's an opera singer, okay, so she gave sort of her debut performance, and there were lo- there was this review about it in the Washington Post, so Harry Truman read it, and it, it basically said that while she was, Margaret, Margaret Truman was very attractive, um, She hadn't improved very much. She cannot sing very well, and uh, you know the performance was lousy. And so Harry Truman pens this letter uh, and and sends it to this guy, and it becomes public. And this is what Truman says: He says, "Mr. Hume, this is the president, sitting president of the United States, right, writing to this this uh, music critic, Mr. Hume. I've just read your lousy review of Margaret's concert. I've come to the conclusion that you're an eight ulcer man on four ulcer pay." It seems to me that you're a frustrated old man who wishes he could have been successful. When you write such poppycock as was in the back section of the paper you work for, it shows conclusively that you're off the beam and at least four of your five ulcers are at work. Someday, I hope to meet you. This is the good part. Someday, I hope to meet you. When that happens, you'll need a new nose, a lot of beefsteak for your black eyes, and perhaps a supporter below, exclamation mark, Pelger, or Pegler, which is, who's another uh, columnist that Truman hated. Pegler, a gutter snipe, is a gentleman alongside you. I hope you'll accept that statement as a worse insult than a reflection on your ancestry. H.S.T. Harry S. Truman. All right, so that is, that is the precedent that has been set in, in the White House for fathers defending their daughters. Okay, so, hey, Trump is a passionate guy. Of course, he's going to defend his daughter. He just needs to learn what is appropriate and not. And, and you know what? I think he already knows what's appropriate and not. I mean, this is an old man. He's 70 years old. Uh, he knows. He just doesn't care. So something we've got to watch for, and I think we should call him out for, because it's a bad precedent set. All right, let's move on to our economics moment. So Valentine's Day is coming up. There's a little reminder for all of you who forgot. It's on Tuesday. Valentine's Day is on Tuesday. And the thing with Valentine's Day is that It's a great example of economics, of some principles in economics that are pretty basic. So let's talk about scarcity, all right? Scarcity is this notion that there's not enough to go around for everybody, right? So how are we going to split stuff up? There are limited resources on planet Earth. Things are scarce, And so how do we do it? How are we going to split things up? You could do it by first come, first serve. You can give, the government could give the best stuff to all their friends and family like they do in Russia, (laughs) Putin does in Russia with the oil, makes his friends rich, and then they give him kickbacks. Uh, You could do it as um, according to people's age. You can do it according to anything. What capitalist systems tend to try to do is make things as efficient as possible. All right, and so we do that with money. So, if something is more scarce, it costs more money. If something is more abundant, it costs less money, right? What's the most abundant thing? I don't know. Air? How much does it cost for you to breathe? Nothing. What's one of the rarest things? Um, I don't know. Diamonds are pretty rare. They're pretty expensive, too. You know? Stuff that is more scarce is more expensive. Stuff that is more abundant is cheaper. So... Now we get to why roses are so expensive on Valentine's Day. I mean, seriously, roses are usually, you know, where I live, they're, it depends. If you go to Walmart, if you go to a grocery store, they're 10 bucks for roses. If you get decent roses at a little floral shop, probably $29. Uh, on Valentine's Day, that goes up to about 59 bucks. 69 So why is that? Are they gouging us? Are our are, are floral shops gouging us? Are they trying to, you know, needle, wheedle as much money out of the American people as they possibly can because this is the one day they're going to sell more than any other day? Um, no, actually, it's, it's because of this, this thing of, about scarcity, right? As things become more scarce, you know, there's less abundance, the prices have to go up in order to divvy out the proper amount of people. We just talked about in the beginning. Are we going to divvy up according to first come, first serve? Well, if the flower shops did that, then as soon as their doors opened, they would sell out all their roses, you know, 29 bucks, and there would be none left. Now, that would not be an efficient use of scarce resources. Why? Because, you know, they didn't make as much as they could have if they had saved those flowers and sold them for a little more to other customers. And the people who weren't willing to pay that much would have gone elsewhere. You know, the, everyone has to do their own cost benefit analysis. How much are those roses worth to you? How much benefit do you get to those from those roses uh, compared to what you would get with that money doing something else with it, right? And so, I wouldn't pay $100 for roses. Maybe somebody a millionaire would. They would pay $100 for roses. But for me, I would take that $100 and go buy my wife hundred dollars worth of chocolate <laughs> or a hundred dollars worth of movie tickets or something else that I knew she would like. Um, that's my cost benefit analysis. And so if they sold those roses to me, you know, if it was a first come, first serve in the morning for twenty nine dollars, it would be a disservice to the dude that was willing to pay more for them, right? Because he he needed them he, he needed them more. The cost benefit analysis made more sense for him. And uh, since there is a bigger scarcity, you know, there are fewer roses at the time that in order to make things as efficient as possible and not run out, uh, flower shops have to raise their prices. So it's not gouging. It is. It, think of it as a way to distribute things as efficiently as possible to the market. And so, with that said, good luck buying those you know hundred dollar roses on Tuesday. I'm gonna try to get mine tomorrow morning, and hopefully, hopefully, it's not too much. But uh, we uh, we'll see. Maybe I'll have to make a trip to. Uh, grocery store to help myself out. All right, let's talk a little bit about this. Uh, Let's start off with SNL, actually. SNL has been doing some sort of funny things. Melissa McCarthy did an impression of Sean Spicer, who is Trump's press secretary. Sean Spicer, I mean, okay, first of all, Sean Spicer has the worst job in America. (laughs) Okay, it is the worst job. He has to get out every day and defend Donald Trump. He and Kellyanne Conway have the worst jobs in America. Not just because they're defending Donald Trump, but because everyone wants Trump to fail. And they have to defend against all of that. So if you didn't see it, you gotta see Melissa McCarthy. She dresses up like Sean Spicer. It's pretty good.
1: We'll do a couple questions. Go. Glenn Thrush, New York Times, boo, go ahead. Yeah, I I wanted to ask about the travel ban on Muslims. Yeah, it's not a ban. I'm sorry? It's not a ban. The travel ban is not a ban, which makes it not a ban. But you just called it a ban. Because I'm using your words. You said ban. You said ban. Now I'm saying it The president tweeted, and I quote, if the ban were announced with a one-week notice... Yeah, exactly. You just said that. He's quoting you. It's your words. He's using your words. When you use the words and he uses them back, it's circular using of the word, and that's from you.
0: All right, so Melissa McCarthy is really funny, uh, despite her performance in the new Ghostbusters. She's funny here, very funny, and it's a great impression of Sean Spicer. She looks just just like him. Uh, It was impressive, but here's the thing. I'm glad they're doing this is a good sign it means that Sean Spicer is actually getting aggressive with the media. It's he's actually getting aggressive with the left. Like Steve Bannon said, I don't like like Steve Bannon uh I would say it all, but I did like this one statement he made. He said that the opposition party for the White House, for President Trump, isn't the Democrat party. It is the media, and that's what it is. So the fact that the media is going after Sean Spicer means that he is actually being aggressive enough with them and uh, and letting them know that he can't be walked over like other Republicans have been in the past. All right, so that was pretty funny. SNL continue to do that, and... Um, probably do the impressions of of Donald Trump from Alec Baldwin which i think are just horrible could they've gotten anyone worse does anyone in america do uh, uh, an impression of Donald Trump that is worse than Alec Baldwin he is literally so bad at it i i just think that everyone does an impression better than and it's he doesn't have to do much if you've ever seen Alec Baldwin you know in 30 rock or any other tv show He's enough like Donald Trump as it is. He can pretty much just dress up like him, but it's so over the top. I'm like, dude, dude, this stinks. Anyway, so SNL's having fun with uh, this administration and like their uh, refusal to make any jokes about the last administration, but hey, it's how it goes. We did have some good news this week. Actually, a lot of items of good news. Betsy DeVos was confirmed as the uh, secretary of education this week and it was actually a tie vote 50-50 because two two republican senators uh, decided to vote against Betsy Betsy DeVos um, because they had uh, they had personal issues with uh, with her some some issues they had they didn't feel like were addressed properly and so they had the vote and then good old vice president Mike Pence breaks the tie, and I think it's it might be the first time in actually confirming one of the president's cabinet secretaries that the vice president has actually had to step in and break that tie, right? So he did that. It was 51-50, but Betsy DeVos got her seat as the uh, secretary of education. I think she's going to do some really good things. All right, one of the big stories from this week was that uh, Senator Sessions from Alabama, Jeff Sessions, was also confirmed as the Attorney General, and there were heated debates. You know, Democrats picked a few people they really wanted to, you know, stick it to during these confirmation hearings. One was De- Betsy DeVos because I don't know. I, I I think that I think that the teachers union is very, 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 it's a sacred cow in the Democrat, Democratic Party, okay? And so I think that's why they went after Betsy DeVos. She sort of looked nervous during her hearings, and she seemed a little vulnerable. You know, she didn't have a ton of experience in, uh, in the public sector and things, and so they really went after her hard, trying to make her look like a total buffoon, which she's not. And they really went after Secretary, or Senator Sessions hard because of some past comments. Again, I've talked about this in the past. He's not a racist. He made some comments in the 80s, when he was attorney general down there in Alabama, I mean, he prosecuted the Ku Klux Klan for heaven's sake. You know, he like pre- almost single-handedly drove them out of, of that state. And so uh, a racist he is definitely not. But he made a joke about the Ku Klux Klan back in, uh, in the 80s, supposedly, to a couple of friends where he said, you know, they, they were found out that they were doing pot or some marijuana. And uh, he said, you know, something to the effect of I didn't have anything against the Ku Klux Klan until I found out they were using marijuana. You know, which is actually a pretty funny joke, but the left has no sense of humor. That nothing is allowed those jokes are not allowed on the left unless you are gay, uh, a minority, but for a white straight male to make a joke like that, which is totally fine. It's a joke for heaven's sake. It's a joke, it's a funny joke for but if you're white straight male, um, then you must be crucified for making a joke like that. And so that's why he actually didn't get his judgeship back in the 80s. He was up for, to become a federal judge, but because of those comments, he had to back out. And this time around, those comments came up again, and one of the chief agitators during his confirmation hearings was none other than Senator Elizabeth Warren from uh, Massachusetts. All right, so she gets up and begins to impugn the character of Jeff sessions, and this is against the Senate rules, right? So the Senate sort of prides itself on being this orderly, mature, uh, senior body full of wisdom and of the ages, and yeah, it's really not, but but it thinks it is. And it's got this specific list of rules, and they're there for good reasons, okay? Back in the uh, early 1900s, actually, two senators got into a fist fight, all right? So these two guys, one of them was supposedly in the pocket of a Political boss from his state, and the other was calling him out and saying that he was dishonorable. He was a liar. He was taking these—he was taking bribes and all this stuff. And the other guy, you know, he's not going to let that stand. So they just get into an all, all-out brawl on the Senate floor. You know, th- you think things are bad today? <laughs> this is the stuff that used to happen back then. And, and of course, in the House of Representatives back in the 1800s, someone was almost beat to death with a stick. So anyway. There was a rule made that you can't impugn someone's character. You can't come stand up and say you're a, they're a liar or you know they're they're uh, they're taking bribes for something. You know they're whatever. If, if you have evidence, you can you can put submit it a different way and you know get someone uh, censured or thrown off or, or punished something for whatever they're doing wrong. But you can't do it. It just violates the decorum of the Senate. And so she does that, and she's warned. Right, She's warned, don't do that to Senator Sessions. He is a senator still. You cannot be accusing him of these things. And she's saying, in fact, let me just play it here.
1: That protects the most fundamental right to vote. A person who has exhibited so much hostility to the enforcement of those laws.
0: The senator is reminded that it is a violation of Rule 19 of the standing rules of the Senate to impute to another senator or senators any conduct or motive unworthy, or becoming a senator?
1: Uh, Mr. President, I don't think I quite understand. I'm reading a letter from Coretta Scott King to the Judiciary Committee from 1986 that was admitted into the record. I'm simply reading what she wrote about what the nomination of Jeff Sessions to be a federal court judge meant and what it would mean in history for her.
0: This is a reminder, not necessarily what you just shared. However, you stated that a sitting senator is a disgrace to the Department of Justice.
1: Uh, I think that may have been and, Senator and, Ken- and, and this, it is and, Although I would be glad to repeat it in my own words.
0: Okay, so you just heard she was clearly given this warning, stop doing that, stop impugning someone's character, stop you know imputing to them as uh, something that's unworthy or unbecoming a senator. Uh, she's warned, she will not stop, and then she gets Mitch slapped, as some people have put it.
1: For minute man, that really tells the story of how sexual violence impacts Massachusetts. And this is what it said. They are mothers, daughters, sisters, fathers, sons, and brothers.
2: Mr. President. They are— Majority Leader. Mr. President. The Majority Leader. The Senators impugn the motives and conduct of our colleague from Alabama, as warned by the chair. Senator Warren, quote, said Senator Sessions has used the awesome power of his office to chill the free exercise of the vote by black citizens. I call the senator to order under the provisions of Rule 19.
1: Mr. President. Senator from Massachusetts. Mr. President, I am surprised that the words of Coretta Scott King are not suitable for debate in the United States Senate. I ask leave of the Senate to continue my remarks.
0: Is there objection? Objection.
1: I appeal the ruling.
0: Objection is heard. Bam! Mitch McConnell coming out of the gate strong. You know, I, I like this because I, I've been up close and per- personal with Mitch McConnell a few times, uh, you know, as he speaks to different campaigns or organization, uh, organizations I've been in, and he's totally different, okay? So he comes across as this really boring, white, southern, old guy who looks a little bit like a turtle. Okay, a lot of it like a turtle. And uh, and everyone I was always saying how spineless and how feckless and... This guy never stands up to the Democrats. This dude's pretty smart, and you'll notice that President Obama was not able to put someone on the Supreme Court last year like he tried with Merrick Garland because of Mitch McConnell's resolve. Now I think he handled that poorly, but Mitch McConnell isn't the Senate majority leader for nothing, you know. This guy this guy doesn't take crap when uh, when he can put a stop to it. Now a lot of people saying this was a bad tactic because by doing this by making a big deal about it, by making Senator Warren shut up on the Senate floor, you just gave her a huge platform, you know, and and people are posting and news outlets are interviewing Senator Warren and saying, oh, what is it like to be silenced by a man, you know, this white Southern guy, leader uh, in the Senate, and she's, and, and, and she's able to get all this free publicity. And so that's not great. It's not great to hand Senator Warren the megaphone and, and let her air her grievances and, and sort of gather more support for uh, for her cause. But I don't think it was a horrible move. Mitch McConnell has to do this every once in a while to remind people who's boss, I think. And the, the rule's there. The rule's there, so it should be followed. And uh, just because she's a woman uh, doesn't mean—or because she's Native American, as she claimed on her uh, application to Harvard Law School. And by the way, she might be the whitest person who has ever entered— Earth's atmosphere. Even she has to abide by the Senate's rules if she wants to be there. This document she was reading was from Coretta Scott King, who was the wife of Martin Luther King Jr. She was using this in order to attack Senator Sessions. However, the next day, uh, Neil Cavuto had an interview with the niece of Coretta Scott King, and this is what she had to say.
1: But the goal is to come together for a solution. And if we're not doing that, the anger, the emotions, stirring up the emotions, using triggers, using the name of Martin Luther King Jr. and now Mrs. Coretta Scott King to get people's emotions stirred so that they cannot clearly get the message. Martin Do you the think King King she Jr. Knew, talked about Senator Keith Warren
2: knew that she was going to get this reaction and slap from the it's Chicago. the
1: old bait-and-switch yeah. with the race card being played. Stir up the emotions. People will never look at the issues. People will never see the solutions. They'll be angry, and then we can slip our agenda in. And I believe she was surprised that she was shut down. But we will no longer accept the racist bait-and-switch race card situation. We need facts, and we need solutions. But,
0: All right, so that's what uh, Coretta Scott, Scott King's niece had to say. And actually, she went on to say that— uh, Coretta Scott King would probably really like Jeff Sessions uh, after she found out more about him, and despite what she had written in a previous letter, you know, almost 40 years ago, said that because of all the work that Jeff Sessions has done on behalf of minority com- communities, on ha- behalf of the black community there in Alabama with voting rights and also with his prosecution of the KKK. And so... You know, really reasonable. I, I, I love the example of the King family just trying to bring peace, trying, pr- trying to bring people together, and pointing out when people are throwing around the, the race card needlessly, as uh, she said Senator Warren did in that situation. All right, lastly, from this saga, I'd like to play a little clip from Tim Scott. So Tim Scott is a senator from South Carolina. Um, I actually spent a lot of time with Tim Scott on the road with uh, Marco Rubio's campaign campaign. This is one of the funniest guys in the Senate, and one of the most charismatic people you will probably ever meet if you get to meet him or even listen to him give a speech. He's able to articulate conservatism in a way that I think is really attractive to people. He's the only black senator Republican in the United States Senate, and and he got up and he he, he read a bunch of tweets because he, he voted for Senator Sessions and because of all the vitriol, all the hatred that the Democrats brought to bear on this confirmation hearing of Jeff Sessions because of supposed racist comments, you know, almost forty years ago, um, a lot of, of Jeff of a lot of Tim Scott's constituents or and just people in general were were calling him out for voting for Jeff Sessions.
2: I go on to read from folks who wanted to share their opinions about my endorsing Jeff Sessions. You are a disgrace to the black race. Uh, Anthony Burnham at Burnham R says, You are an Uncle Tom Scott. You're for Sessions. How does a black man turn on his own? Anthony B from at Political Art says, Senator Tim Scott is not an Uncle Tom. He doesn't have a shred of honor. He's a house Negro. Like the one in Django, he also writes, I guess Anthony Burnham has been fairly active recently on my Twitter feed, Uh, I'm a complete horror, a black man who's a racist against black people, a big Uncle Tom piece of fertilizer, think for yourselves, you are a disgrace to your race. I left out all the ones that used the N-word, just felt like that would not be appropriate. You see, what I'm surprised by, just a smidgen, is that the liberal left that speaks and desires for all of us to be tolerant, do not want to be tolerant of anyone that disagrees with where they are coming from. So the definition of tolerance isn't that all Americans experience a high level of tolerance, it's that all Americans who agree with them
0: experiences this so-called tolerance. All right, that's some, that's some sobering stuff. You know, Tim Scott being harassed, uh, being called small-minded or closed-minded or being part of a herd mentality. Are you kidding me? If anything, you know, he's not. You know, almost all African-Americans in the United States, uh, upwards of 95, 90% uh, vote Democrat. Vote Democrat. They vote. They vote Democrat. And so uh, this, this is great. This is, this is called diversity of thought which is a really great thing. It's a very distinct thing from just plain old diversity, which can mean, hey, gender diversity or racial diversity. The important thing is diversity of thought, and that's what Tim Scott brings to the black community, which is really great. So, okay, really busy week, but I'm going to throw this in here too. Uh, Neil Gorsuch made a comment to Senator Blumenthal that he was displeased with Trump calling out the judge from the 9th, circuit court, who struck down Trump's uh, travel ban, right? Gorsett said he was disheartened by it, and, uh, and he reported that, and, and then this was sort of a private conversation, right? So he's the next Supreme Court justice, and he's going around and meeting with a different senator because the senators have to approve him. And so he's having this private conversation with Blumenthal. And all of a sudden, the next day, Blumenthal comes out and announces it to the world. Hey, he just told me this about Trump, and he's mad about it. I'm like, "What, what scumbag you are. You know, these private conversations of the next Supreme Court justice, potentially, isn't even private. Everything is so politicized. So Trump immediately comes out and attacks Blumenthal and says says that he's misrepresenting Gorsuch, which he wasn't, it sounds like, the Gorsuch actually doesn't like when Trump attacks the judiciary. You know, anyone with... A robe on, uh, because tr- th- these are distinct branches. You know, we've got the, the judiciary, we've got the executive branch, we've got the legislature. Okay, so they probably shouldn't be calling each other out, but this is not unprecedented. Again, we just have to go back a few presidents to find someone who did something much, much worse, and that's FDR. All right, and granted, this was about uh, 80 years ago, but FDR, during his presidency, at one point, threatened to remove all the justices from the Supreme Court just so he could get his way. So they would stop calling his you know his actions unconstitutional. And in fact, he had a plan to uh, limit the age, you know that, that all Supreme Court justices had to step down by the age of 70 or 75, I can't remember what he suggested. and then they would put in a substitute, who would just cancel out the votes of the person that that voted against whatever he wanted them to vote for. All right, so that is insanity, okay? Trump calling somebody a so-called judge or making fun of a judge or questioning a judge judge's uh, opinion about an executive order, which is clearly legal. Clearly Donald Trump has the right to protect the United States by issuing a travel uh, pause on certain countries, okay? That is literally his job. He's, and the executive branch is to find out what is dangerous, and protect the American people. But this judge, all right, fine, he's got his own opinion. The ninth, the ninth Circuit Court is extraordinarily leftist. I mean, it is just a cesspool of leftism and activist judging. All right, so not surprising that it came out of there, but the fact that Trump calls out this judge, it's not a big deal. Please, please, it's not a big deal. And and the fact that, uh, that uh, Judge Gorsuch... Future Supreme Court Justice, hopefully, is sort of calling out Trump when he thinks he's wrong, I think is also a good thing. He's a very originalist and textualist pick for Donald Trump, but he also thinks for himself, which is good. So, not a big deal. Many presidents have been more extreme. Okay, let's end. Today, let's do something a little special. We talked in the beginning about Margaret Truman who is was the daughter of Harry S. Truman, and and, and she was criticized because of her, because of her singing. But I'm going to let you be the critic today, and uh, take a listen to a little bit of uh, her singing, and that'll be and that'll be my recommendation for the day. Thanks so much for joining me. This was a lot of fun to make. A lot of interesting stuff going on right now. Don't forget to share this episode with your friends. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It really helps us out. Until next week, I'm Patrick Ketchum. See ya.